Want to know more about science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine? Then tune in to Edge Radio on 5pm on Sundays to hear That's What I Call Science. You can also find us on all of your favourite podcast streaming services. Be sure to like and subscribe us on any of our socials. Listen to That's What I Call Science on Edge Radio Sundays at 5pm where you'll hear great science coming from our small island by a team of awesome women interviewing expert guests. Be sure to catch it and if you like it, follow us on your favourite social media channel. We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast bringing you big ideas from the small island of Tasmania. My name's Dr. Neve Chapman, I'm joined by Mibu Fisher, and I'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording, the Palawa and Pakana people, as we record on Lutruwita, and acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on where you are listening across Australia. On behalf of everyone, I pay my respects to elders past and present. Today we'll be talking about critically endangered species, red handfish, with Utah's PhD student Tyson Bessel. So Mibu, can you tell me a little bit more about our expert guest today, and also so the topic we're going to be discussing. Yeah, sure. So Tyson is a Hobart local and he's interested in marine conservation with a particular interest in handfish. Um, he's working on gathering information to produce the first ever population estimate for red handfish and understanding their ever-increasing pressures. Very interesting. I love those like spunky little handfish. And I was wondering, like, are they actually like spunky or is it just like really good marketing? But it's awesome to have you on the show. I feel like they're really iconic, Tyson. So thanks so much for making time to come in. Thank you so much for having me. So Tyson, handfish. Some of our listeners may know what they are, um, but for those who don't, can you please describe what a handfish is and what makes them unique compared to other species of fish? No worries. So, um, so handfish, they're a, they're a family of anglerfish. So um, if you've ever seen uh, Finding Nemo, there's a, there's a scene in there where uh, they, they drop the mask and they go down deep in a, in a dark trench and, and there's uh, a, a pretty nasty looking fish with some teeth, like big teeth and a, and a big um, allure at the end of it that lights up. So handfish are a, a, species, uh, a related uh, family uh, to that type of fish. Um, so, so they have that lure. It's, it doesn't light up like that one does in the movie, but um, they do have that lure. Um, the way that they differ though is that they've actually got a, a modification in their pectoral fin. Um, so, so they've got uh, a fin that looks like hands and, and believe it or not, that's how they get their name, handfish. Do they actually like scuttle across the sea floor with their little hand fin or like no, have I just imagined that? No, they, they definitely do. So um, so a lot of fish have a thing called a swim bladder, um, which allows uh, a fish to control their buoyancy in, in the water. Um, hand fish don't have that. So, so they've kind of modified themselves to be able to be close to the sea floor, which is why they've got those hands. They, they kind of crawl along and walk along the sea floor and um, they, they can swim a little bit, but I'd imagine it'd be pretty... Um, uh, intensive to their energy so that's why it's kind of why they, they move around a bit there that's so cool cool yeah there's so many different things about them and and what about the hamfish did you find interesting yeah it's it's kind of a, a weird sort of question the reason I got into it is um I, being a proud Tasmanian I I love Tasmanian everything basically and and I think I wanted to do my bit for a Tasmanian species um 
the red handfish are an endemic Tasmanian species and, you know, they're kind of, they're quirky. They kind of look grumpy all the time and they've got weird looking hands. I, I think that's kind of, that's kind of why I fell into that space because, you know, they're, they're just so char- charismatic, I think. Yeah, they really are. They've got that like funky, weird, like tazzy vibe that just like sucks you in, and you're just like, "What's so odd about you?" Yeah, it's kind of a a face that only a researcher can love. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, going off that, you've just said you're you're about local, born and raised here, Um, but despite being surrounded by so much water here in in Hobart, it was a trip to Queensland that inspired you to become a marine biologist. It was, yeah. It's kind of a, a story that I enjoy telling telling people. Um, the reason I wanted to be a marine, be a marine biologist was um, because of my parents, actually. So they took me to a, a little trip um, up to, to SeaWorld in, uh, in Queensland. Um, and at the time, there was, a, I think there was a exhibition on marine pollution or something like that and I remember going to a movie one of those um, 4D movies that where they spray you with water and the chairs move and all that sort of thing and there was a scene in this movie where a turtle was had eaten and choked on on a plastic bag and I'm I'm sure you could imagine as a um, a six or seven year old child that I was at the time this was very traumatic for me and apparently I spent the rest of the day um, bawling my eyes out while I was in Queensland in this tropical weather, um, and from that day on, I basically walked away saying, "I want to, I want to be a marine conservationist. I wanted to do something to be able to to help marine um, animals." Yeah, wow, that's, that's really very cool. inspiring. I actually think I've seen that same that same movie because I'm from from Queensland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's traumatic. It's pretty I'm still full thinking on, yeah. about it now. <laughs> Awesome. Well, it's great that you're able to take that passion and apply it for something that's so local to Tasmania. Stay with us and we'll be talking more to Tyson about his work on the iconic handfish. Tune in to Edge Radio at 5pm on Sundays to hear That's What I Call Science, bringing you big ideas from the small island. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we're talking about handfish. My name is Mibu Fisher, and I'm joined by Neve Chapman, along with our guest Tyson Bessel from the University of Tasmania. So, um, I just wanted to ask, why are handfish considered endangered? Sure, so um, there's actually... 14 species of handfish um believe it or not there's there's uh, there's probably two that are pretty commonly known in Tasmania the spotted handfish and the red handfish but there are there are actually 14 so um all of those species are from southeast Australia and 11 of them are Tasmanian it turns out that uh actually five of them are either endangered or critically endangered um and five are data deficient but one is extinct, so um, and that's that's a actually pretty significant, um, unfortunate, significant milestone because it turns out that they uh, that handfish, the smooth handfish, was the first marine bony fish on the planet ever to be classified as extinct. So um, they're they're actually the most threatened family of fish in the world. Wow! Yeah, wow! I didn't realize that. That's pretty powerful stuff. That's a lot. Yeah, uh, that's. Yeah. A lot. A lot. That's a lot, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. Yeah, it's really sad because, like, an endangered species is threatened because of habitat loss and, like, that genetic diversity loss and the fact that they're all, you know, found in southeast Australia and that's happening. It's really... Mm. Yeah. 
I think as well, something that maybe isn't front of mind when we think of species endangerment is like a fish that's at the bottom of the sea, like on the sea floor. On the sea floor, yeah. That's right. We yeah. don't really think about. So what are you doing to investigate like the populations of the species of hamfish that you're most interested in and how will this information help you understand conservation status? Yeah, so um, my my work, um, like, I, like you said before, I'm a PhD student. Um, my work is on, on the red handfish um, and that's kind of where a lot of the, the handfish um, um, research is going on at the moment. There's guys at CSIRO working on the spotted handfish as well. But, but in terms of um, my work, I'm, I'm working to answer three questions. Um, and those questions are, where are they? Um, how many are there? And how do we conserve them best? So they're kind of the broader questions that I'm doing. And there's some pretty cool little things I'm, I'm doing in each one of those to try address each of those questions that I can talk about. Um, so in regards to where are they, what kind of habitats can they be found in, in the Derwent, I'm assuming, and um, what is so unique about those habitats? Yeah, so it's actually, it's an easy confusion, but the red handfish aren't found in the Derwent. They're, oh. they're actually found um, just in the east of the Derwent, so they're in Frederick Henry Bay. Um, they kind of like hanging around in, um, in, in reefs, um, so um, they, they like to, to hide under sea grasses and, and some species of brown algaes. Um, and we kind of find them nice and close to the base of these things, because if you picture these algaes, uh, these, these brown algaes as like a tree, you know, you've got the trunk and then you've got the leaves, they, they like hanging around the trunk just because it's, I guess it's probably more protected there and um, they lay their eggs around the trunks there as well. So, yeah. So when you're going in and trying to understand this habitat or like the population status, how do you do that? Do you literally like dive in? Sure. So this is actually one of the coolest parts of my job, I think. I get to do a lot of diving and I get to see these guys um, on a regular basis. And, and I think it's something that I'm quite privileged to be able to do considering there's not many of them um, it's like finding treasure every time I find one. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm out diving almost weekly. Um, and uh, in the heights of winter, I, I looked at my dive watch one day and it was eight degrees in the water and I nearly started crying. So, but it, it's, it's good fun. I really do enjoy, enjoy doing it. And um, yeah, we, we basically just go along and, and we swim um, along a, a 50 metre transect um, and we just search as hard as we can for these fish and um, they're in pretty low density, so it, it, even when you know exactly they should be here, I know that they should be in this area, you can go sometimes a couple of transects without even finding one along a 50-metre transect. So it's difficult, but it's also enjoyable from my perspective. Uh, when you first started diving and, and looking for them, um, how long did it take you to to spot one and be confident that you... like? Okay, I know what a handfish looks like under the water now. Yeah, yeah. so I did my honours on, on spotted handfish. So I, I'd seen um, species of handfish before, um, but it's a little different with, with red handfish. So I, I went out with my supervisors, I reckon, probably for two or three months, being absolutely incompetent and relying completely on, on my two supervisors, my three supervisors who came out to help. Um, and one day I, I found one myself and I remember it was one of the coolest feelings ever because I was like, yes, I know, I know what they look like. I can do this now. And then from then on, um, I've, I've been pretty good at, at finding them. So, um, yeah. yeah. 
That's awesome. So how do you know if you found like a new handfish or is that the same handfish you saw last week? Yeah, so this is um, this is the question, one of the questions um, that I was talking about before. It's, it's how many are they? How many are there? Sorry. Um, and the way that um, we do that is um, is pretty cool, I think. Um, so so handfish in, in spotted handfish as well, but in red handfish, um, they have these pretty cool spots patterns of like spots on the side of their body um so when i'm out diving and we see one of these fish um i'll take a photo of of the fish on each side um and and we kind of um consider these spots uh like fingerprints on humans they've all got individual patterns um and and we can use that using some um a software program um that basically compiles a big database of all the fish that we know so when I find a new one, I'll take a photo of it, I'll run it through this database and we can decide, yep, we, we've seen this one before or nope, this is a new fish. Yeah, like the, the flukes of the whales kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So you were saying, Tyson, that you were like really stoked about some of the areas of your PhD research and you're doing some really cool parts. So you're looking at like what numbers of handfish are there and what types of habitat they are residing in. So like, wh- how will that feed into understanding something that informs conservation or what we need to do to help the handfish out? So I guess um, a big starting point is being able to determine how many of something there is. Um, and you can't really, you, I guess initially you can decide there is this much, but you essentially want to be able to track trends over time to see if a population is recovering or if population is staying the same or if in the unfortunate event it starts crashing. And um, we've kind of been able to tell that um, that handfish, red handfish, have been collapsing just based on um, on past sort of records and anecdotes and that sort of thing. So uh, an interesting story that, uh, that I've, I guess, I'm aware of is that in the 1800s, um, actually basically right outside the Port Arthur convict um, colony down there, um, there was a there was a, a, an expedition or a French guy, um, I can't remember his name, um, but he basically discovered the first red handfish and uh, it would have been captured by some primitive fishing technology, maybe a dip net or something like that. So there would have been in um, high enough densities to be able to do that. If you do that now, we wouldn't be able to we wouldn't be able to pull up a handfish. So I guess in a way it's sort of, it's representative of there being a decline in red handfish. And at the moment we're kind of working with maybe 100, 150 adults in total out in the wild, um, which probably would put it in the category of one of or the rarest marine fish in the world. Wow. Yeah, right. And um, so... With them being so rare, do we know like their life cycle and, and things like that? So we know like how old they are when they're breeding, how long they live, all those sorts of questions. That's sort of an area that I'm working on. Um, I guess uh, one of the take-home m- stories from a researcher's point of view at the moment is that we don't know much about them at all. We know some basic things, you know, so we, we've kind of got a feeling that um, that red handfish become um, mature, so uh, so ready to breed at around about maybe one and a half to two years. Um, we think maybe they live um, for about, I don't know, four or five years uh, at a guess. Um, spotted handfish we think can live up to 10 years, just for some perspective there. Um, but we, we know a little bit about movement, um, but, but then the really nitty-gritty stuff that really helps to improve um, a conservation um, um, as, uh, 
or what's management plan? Yeah, management plan for for red handfish. Um, that's the sorts of thing that we want to we want to work out now. So really, you're on like a frontier of understanding like when you find them, like what kind of habitat things are there. So you said you like you take pictures of their spots, pretty cute. Um, but also like, are you making notes or taking pictures of the types of habitat where you found them, or like I don't know if you find like eggs or whatever, and you're like what's going on here like is it really on that discovery basis where it's like why are they here and if we understand their habitat then we can think about maybe how that habitat's changed over time or also what we could do to make more habitat that they like um in a way so so like I said they did used to be pretty um common um so so there there has been some work on on red handfish in the past um from from the old IMAS at Taffy um, back in the day. So there was some work, but at, at the moment, I think this probably is a bit of a frontier sort of space for the red handfish because um, it's such a forefront of, of um, conservation for the handfish at the moment and that they are probably one of the, the um, most uh, in you know, dire um, need of, of help. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, so... I've heard a bit about like the Northern Pacific sea star and I'm assuming that's like impacting more on habitats in the Derwent. Are there any threats that you have had to think about for the red handfish being in a different part of Tasmania? Yeah, so um, that's addressing that third question of my, my project, the, the how do we conserve them? Um, so a part of my work was actually trying to figure out just that question. What are their threats? What are, what are the pressures that the red handfish are experiencing so that we can direct our future um, conservation prioritisation? Um, so what we did is we brought in all the experts, the, the, all the people who have worked on, on handfish um, uh, as best we could, um, and, and we all sat down and we we just talked it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we came up with was um, the the Northern Pacific Sea Star. Um, we think has had a big impact on on the spotted handfish at least. Um, not so much the red handfish. So one of the biggest problems with the red handfish is actually a native urchin. Um, for some reason, it's it's exploded in in their population and and that urchin actually eats um that critical handfish red handfish habitat um so obviously species can't survive if its habitat's not available so um yeah yeah so that urchin um was that part of the 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 species that came down because of the the species shift from no that it's actually from tasmania actually a native urchin yeah wow yeah that's that's really interesting and and we're still trying to links yeah. <laughs> um, between that but we're not 100% sure wow yeah stick with us as we hear more from Tyson about red handfish Listen to That's What I Call Science on Edge Radio Sundays at 5pm for your weekly fix of awesome science content you're listening to That's What I Call Science, and we are talking about red handfish. My name is Mibu Fisher, and I'm joined by Dr. Neve Chapman, along with our guest, Tyson Bessel from the University of Tasmania. So, Tyson, um, we were just talking about some of the pressures that you and the team have been identifying with red handfish. Um, are you able to elaborate on uh, more pressures that, you know, you've discovered? Sure, yeah. So, um, another uh, pressure that we, we've come up with, 
we've we've determined is a big deal for for the red hand fish is actually it's it's warming coastal waters and and that's um, I guess a problem with many um, temperate species of, of anything I guess in marine life. Um, it's a species that is now restricted to the coolest parts of Tasmania. I said I was diving in eight degrees of water before, and I, you don't really see that in many other places. I guess in in Tasmania, so it's restricted to the coolest part, parts of the state. Um, if waters keep warming up, it's it's they they're not going to have much much further south to go, unfortunately. So that, that is a big problem, and and that can impact directly on on the red hand fish. You know, they're not necessarily built for Queensland tropical waters. So <laughs> um, and and neither is the habitat that they're living in. So it can affect. It's kind of like a two pronged attack unfortunately. Mm. Um, a, uh, another problem, but I, and I think this is probably the biggest threat to the red hand fish, and, and, um, and that is the fact it is such a small population size. And, and I guess in, in conservation biology, there's this thing called uh, the extinction vortex. And, and what that is, is basically a small population will encourage um, fragmentation, which means they can't intersperse between populations that will then encourage inbreeding a, a loss of genetic diversity and a loss of um, overall fitness and that then starts that cycle again which makes the population even smaller so that is the biggest problem the biggest threat to the red handfish so when when it comes to trying to prioritize conservation and address these problems that's one of the areas that we're really trying to focus on try to pull them out of that extinction vortex so does that include things like, you know, not just keeping them in their natural habitat, but maybe doing controlled breeding um, and then reintroducing them into their natural habitat? I mean, we've talked about that with the devils on Mariah Island previously on the show and things like that. So is that the types of things that would be fair game to discuss as part of a conservation effort? That's exactly the type of thing. And, and that's actually something that we're doing, um, oh, which, cool. is, which is great. So um, we're doing, um, we're actually doing that uh, and it's called head starting. Um, so uh, what we did uh, a few years back, we actually went out um, during a breeding season for the red handfish and very scarily and very riskily we, we were very nervous um we collected some eggs um we brought them back um to uh imas um to csiro and to seahorse world which is up in beauty point and we raised um those eggs and we got them to hatch um which is amazing um uh, and basically what this is doing is we're reducing the amount of mortality that's going on out in nature. So um, allowing these um, these eggs to grow up to, to big juveniles, about 40 or 50 millimetres. Um, and then we last year um, released around about 40 of these juveniles out back into the wild to try and, and address um, that small population size. And there's actually been some pretty um, exciting, um, I guess, evidence that that could work because um just recently we found um one of those fish that we released um about 150 days earlier so it's been in the wild for a hun- about ha- nearly half a year um and it, it had moved about 20 meters and it had grown probably around about three millimeters so it means that they're, they're doing pretty they, they, they've got the potential to do well out in the wild after being um, raised in captivity. So that's that's one approach. And, and obviously we'd also love to be able to, to breed them in captivity to close that cycle and get them to lay their eggs in captivity and, 
and continue breeding in in captivity to release in the wild. So does doing that kind of work also inform some knowledge gaps around like their life cycle and their breeding preferences and all that type of stuff that can then also inform like how you might develop habitat strategies and that kind of thing? Because you were saying earlier, there's just so much that's unknown. So like captivity is obviously not what we want to go to straight away, but maybe it identifies a lot of those gaps. Absolutely. And that that is um, definitely uh, one of the ways that we can tackle that those sorts of questions. I guess captivity is sort of the perfect lab treatment in a way because you're able to watch them 24-7. You can watch all these behaviours and the way that they act um, without, you know, freezing your bum off out in <laughs> eight degrees waters. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I imagine that doing this work is quite expensive. And so for that to continue and be a feasible aspect of their, you know, conservation management methods, um, we'd need support from a range of organisations and, and funders. Um, is this something that the general public is able to get involved with? It sure is, yeah. We've, we've had some, some nice um, funding from the Tasmanian government and the federal government as well, which is great. But um, obviously we'd love to continue doing the work that we do so that we can prevent this cute little fish from, from going extinct. So one of the ways that um, the community um, can get involved in this is actually um, through... Um, sponsoring a fish so we we have a um a campaign up um it's uh on the handfish conservation projects page so handfish.org.au and and basically what you can do is um you can sponsor a handfish and and name a handfish um and and that basically will contribute to being able um to continue this research and work awesome i want to have a handfish and name it maybe we'll call it twixie after the show Look into getting one. Thanks so much, Tyson, for giving your time for the show today. I learned heaps about the red hand fish and feel more passionate than ever about those funky little fish. Thanks so much, Mibu, for all your work on today's episode. Always love when you bring a guest in because it's going to be something marine and something interesting. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember that you can catch all of our previous 138 episodes wherever you get your podcast or by visiting thatscience.org. Until next time, I'm Neve Chapman. Thank you and goodbye. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information. At That's What I Call Science, we love bringing engaging content to all sorts of audiences, and this includes youth. So if you're a teacher at a local school here in Tasmania and have students interested in science, technology, engineering, maths or medicine topics, then let us know and we can come into your school and get them on the radio talking about their favourite exciting scientific ideas. That's what I call science brings you awesome science content from the small island of Tasmania. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Like and subscribe to get the updates when new content is available. Want to hear exciting scientific, technology, engineering, maths and medicine topics, then you can find That's What I Call Science on all of your 
favourite podcast streaming services, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or head straight to our website at thatscience.org.